0: welcome to OK Talks, I'm your host Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused in security policy and real world experience working in the US domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined I think positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So, I keep ending up talking here about Donald Trump's legal troubles, and I swear I really don't intend to turn OK Talks into Oliver Plays a Lawyer on the radio, but the number of indictments that keep dropping on the former president... Well, if you're trying to do a show where you at least sometimes discuss U.S. politics, it's hard, even if you don't have a law degree, to not say anything about the various criminal cases against the former and would-be future president. So, this week, I want to just say a few things about the latest indictment of Trump, the one coming out of Georgia. Even just in layman's terms, this one feels a little different for a couple of reasons that I want to just quickly react to here in no particular order. I think this will be a quicker one than usual. Here's hoping, anyway. But, of course, before I get too far into it, if you haven't already, remember to subscribe or follow the podcast on whatever platform you listen. Also, as always, please do share the show with anyone you think might get something out of it. I promise I will at least sometimes talk about more than just Trump's legal problems. If you're unsure how to do that, just go ahead and hit the button with the three horizontal dots, select copy link, and send that link to anyone with a pulse. Okay, so for my non-American listeners, or I suppose any American listeners I have, who have just now returned from a vacation in a cabin in, like, the mountains with no Wi-Fi or cell reception, and then decided to listen to this before opening any other news source, thank you, Donald Trump made history again this week by being the first American president ever to receive four criminal indictments. That's after having already made history for being the first American president ever to receive one, two, or three criminal indictments. This one came from the jurisdiction of Fulton County, Georgia, where the president is alleged to have committed various criminal acts in an attempt to throw out the results of the 2020 elections in the state of Georgia, which were, you know, not too favorable to him. First of all, this indictment, based on the reactions that I've seen to it from people whose familiarity with legal proceedings rather outstrips my own, seems to not be just like a a local copy of the federal January 6th charges that I discussed back in episode 46. Now, I point that out because there had been some speculation in advance that they might be. These charges coming out of Georgia really center Trump... Um, not as just a drowning man flailing around on his own looking for a way to avoid losing power, but show him at the heart of a conspiracy. He's charged with conspiracy and under a RICO statute. Now, RICO stands for Racketeering Influenced and Corrupt Organizations, which, according to my lawyer friends in plain English, is basically like an even bigger conspiracy involving a broader array of crimes. Conspiracy charges themselves, which are also involved in the Georgia indictment, are interesting because they basically have the effect of criminalizing certain things that on their own wouldn't necessarily be against the law, but in the context of a broader conspiracy are. It's, it's a way to hold people accountable as a group for doing stuff in support of illegal activity. Like, take the classic scenario from every mob movie. You own a local, I don't know, sandwich shop. And one day, two suspicious-looking individuals with a fondness for tracksuits, who you know have ties to the local mafia, show up and say, "'Hey, it's a nice shop you got here. Sure it would be a shame if anything was to happen to it.' And then suggest that for a small payment their, uh, associates could make sure that your shop is protected. So, let's say you call the police and these two get arrested, but the next week, two other guys show up. Maybe even ones who don't sound like some guy's bad impression of a cartoon villain from Queens. RICO and conspiracy statutes make it easier to not just go after the guys that keep showing up at your shop, who were presumably ordered there, but rather to take down the entire organization that has them extorting you in the first place so that the whole thing stops. (laughs) Heh, yeah. Sorry for the poorly executed legal rabbit hole. I clearly don't have a future as an officer of the court and have just outed myself as having watched neither The Godfather nor The Sopranos. Bottom line, what I was trying to say is, eventually. The nature of the charges in Georgia make it clear that Trump was leading a conspiracy with a bunch of accomplices. This was not just, like, a desperate guy on his own, hopping on the phone, asking for favors after it looked like he'd lost. Second of all, unlike in the federal cases, there really is nothing that the former or potentially future President Trump can do to get out of this one, at least not through any obvious legal or political means. I mention the latter because, well, Trump's plan to beat the rap on the federal charges seems largely to depend on him becoming president again. I mean, like, they are trying a mix of stuff that serves both legal and political purposes. They're doing everything possible to slow down the federal cases and delegitimize the prosecutor and corrupt the jury pool and get the January 6th case moved to a venue where it's assumed there will be a ton of Trump supporters on the jury who would never vote to convict him. Seriously, they suggested that the trial for the insurrection, which happened in Washington, be instead held in West Virginia. But, bottom line, it seems pretty clear that Trump's strategy is largely political. His hope for avoiding consequences in the federal cases is to get elected president before the case is finished, and then instruct the Department of Justice to kill the prosecutions or if he gets convicted but hasn't been sentenced yet, try to pardon himself, which sounds absurd but really has never been tested before the Supreme Court, which, well, at the moment is pretty undeniably friendly to him, so, you know, might work. The thing is, in Georgia, no version of this escape hatch exists. The Federal Department of Justice really doesn't have a lot to say over what happens under Georgia state law, so even if Trump gets reelected, he doesn't have jurisdiction to reach down and fire the prosecutor in Georgia who's conducting this. Additionally, Georgia is one of only two states in America where the governor doesn't actually have the power to pardon anyone. This means that Trump can't fall back on his tried-and-true tactic of ginning up an angry mob of supporters to chase the Republican governor around and send death threats to his family until he agrees to pardon Trump. If Trump is convicted here, he is kind of screwed. I should say, just as a sort of side note, having discussed how Trump hopes to get out of the federal charges and how he can't really in the case of Georgia, I don't really know how exactly he hopes to avoid the New York case. I mean, I guess he's assuming he can just kind of skate because it's smaller potatoes compared to the rest of them, which is why it's kind of unfortunate that that one came first. But, you know, in any case, yeah, I don't have a good answer on that. Hope somebody else does. Thirdly, the legal system in Georgia is different from the federal one in another important way. It's a lot more public. So, I mean, we all keep hearing about these federal proceedings where Trump turns himself in and is arraigned and stuff, but then all we really get to see of this history taking place is basically a watercolor of an orange blob with blonde hair sitting with its arms crossed while somebody in black robes in the background sits next to a flag. I mean, no offense to courtroom sketch artists, they are actually amazing, but, you know, come on. It's 2023. Let us see. This old funny-duddy thing of not letting cameras into the courtroom at the federal level... It was a little over the hill in my estimation. But that ain't how they do things in Georgia. No sir, in Georgia the whole thing will be televised. It's not gonna be like at the federal level where we see footage of Trump's motorcade entering a building and then all have to wait for some poor, breathless legal reporter to run outside of the cameras after the proceedings to tell us, okay, so first the judge said this, and then Trump said this, and then his one lawyer gave the other lawyer a funny look, and then the judge said this other thing? No. Now, in the Georgia case, we, the American people, and interested parties all around the world will be able to see and hear the scumbag former president who spent his entire adult life lying and cheating without consequence at a scale most humans would find unimaginable, finally, finally face the music. We'll be able to see him sitting there in the docket like any other accused murderer, scam artist, or jackass contesting a speeding ticket. Okay, so now that these charges have been announced, what do we think might happen now? I mean, there there are short-term questions about how this will affect the first Republican primary debate and whether Trump will participate or not, but I want to have a look at slightly longer, I don't know, more medium-term things that might come as a result of this. So for one thing, this case almost certainly will take longer than the federal ones for a couple of reasons. First of all, as I understand it from people that, again, have far more familiarity with the legal system than do I, state cases tend to move more slowly than federal ones. So right off the bat, this is likely to go more slowly than the two federal cases being brought against Trump. In addition to federal cases usually going faster than state ones, Jack Smith, the special prosecutor in the January 6th case, made the pretty obvious decision to just charge Trump while making it pretty clear that there are a couple of other people that will probably be charged in what seems to be an effort to move that case along more quickly, he's just charged Trump with the others to come later. Fawny Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney, did not follow that same approach uh, to this set of indictments. Uh, she charged Trump along with like almost 20 other people here, which you know will make uh, it necessary to do a whole bunch of coordinating if you want to try all those people at the same time. Bottom line, despite anyone's aspirations, including Willis, who I think laid out a, like, six-month timeline that she hopes for here, this case almost certainly will not be resolved by January 20th, 2025, when the next presidential term starts. This, I think, opens a couple of different potential scenarios. So, let's game this out. Scenario one. This is the scenario that I both hope and... I think I'm allowing myself to anticipate is the most likely. Trump is found guilty of any number of charges in one or both of the federal cases brought against him. Trump does not become the 46th president because the Republicans decide last minute that they don't want a nominee running from prison, something that seems more likely after a set of polls came out this week showing him performing pretty damn badly in a general election in the context of the charges. Or maybe they really are that crazy and he is the nominee, but then he loses the election. In either case, In scenario one, Trump is not the president in uh, January of 2025. He is already in federal custody, having been found guilty of some number of federal charges. He then goes on trial in Georgia, and if found guilty, again, any time after January 20th, 2025, he would then have prison time in Georgia added on top of any federal sentence he receives. Even if he manages to survive in federal prison long enough to be pardoned by some hypothetical future president, because I assume Biden wouldn't do it, He would then be transferred to custody in Georgia where he would die in prison because Georgia's governor can't pardon him and what he's been charged with comes with mandatory minimum sentences. Hypothetical scenario number two. Trump somehow manages to avoid federal conviction, but even though he was able to somehow hoodwink some number of the 24 federal jurors, It isn't enough to fool a sufficient number of Americans that they want to re-elect a proven liar, insurrectionist, scumbag, obvious criminal, and any number of other insults I could spend the rest of the evening reciting. Trump, a free man but not the president, stands trial in Georgia. If convicted of anything he's charged with there, he will probably die in prison because, again, mandatory minimum sentences. As I understand it, the absolute minimum number of years in prison for the RICO charges is five years, and a minimum for the conspiracy charge is one year. And (laughs) I don't see Donald Trump, a morbidly obese, almost octogenarian, surviving six years on prison food. Of course, it's worth noting that hypothetical scenario number two would almost certainly be complicated by some other sort of January 6th scenario happening again because Let's face it, it's virtually impossible to imagine Donald Trump losing yet another election, but then deciding that this time he's going to take it like a man. Okay, so then hypothetical scenario number three. This being the one, obviously, that gives me nightmares. On January 25th, 2025, Donald Trump has either won the election or in some other way managed to scan his way back into the White House. He has either already faced both federal trials before the election and somehow not been found guilty of any of the nearly 80 charges leveled against him at this point, or more likely, he won the presidency before he was convicted and either pardons himself or scuttles the federal prosecution. So then what? If the Georgia trial has already started at this point before he's inaugurated, does it just continue? If it hasn't started yet, does he just not turn himself in? Does he just never go to Georgia? Or do the Secret Service, like, get into fights with any law enforcement agency that tries to take him into custody to stand trial? Or does the Supreme Court decide that Trump gets to basically have some sort of temporary immunity while he's the president, which, you know, obviously incentivizes him to try to find some extra constitutional way of never leaving office? I don't know. I don't know if anyone does. I'm sure also that there are more important questions to ask and more potential scenarios than just the three that I imagined there. And it's excellent that the wheels are in motion for yet another way in which Donald Trump might finally face justice. But those things that I raised are some things that need to be thought about. And I sure hope that a lot of people who are both smarter than me and with the power to actually do something about them are doing so. That's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you like the show and want to make sure not to miss the next episode, subscribe or follow on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, please do go ahead and like the show, leave a review, and most importantly, share the show with somebody. To those who already have, thanks. To those who will, thanks in advance. Thanks to my friend Nate for having designed the podcast artwork and to everybody else for listening.